five, scores! Rick Bod. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bod. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome everyone to episode 59 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, another former ECHLer, joins us today. I'm beginning to think you weren't a badass coach because another guy didn't hesitate to join us. You must have been a softie. <laughs> I'll tell you what I was, Mike. I was, I, was, I was very, very good at communicating with my players. I treated them extremely well. But there were times where you had to put the hammer down, and uh, you know you do so. But, you know, I, I I like to think that my players enjoyed playing for me and enjoyed the way I coached. Well, stop setting it up. Let's but let, we'll, let's, but we're, we'll find out. Let's get him to tell us. Okay, we want the other side of this story. So, Squid, our guest today, you know very well, as we've just found out, he backstopped your ECHL South Carolina Stingrays to a 1997 Kelly Cup, along with picking up the playoff MVP to boot. Originally drafted of Vancouver in 1991, joined a six-year pro career, coached five seasons in South Carolina. Today, pro scout for the Washington Capitals. Welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leap Fan Show, Jason Fitzsimmons. Fitzy, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure here. Good to see your faces and uh, heard nothing but uh, great things about this podcast. So I'm excited to be on it. Great. Well, listen, now, before we get started, Jason, I want you to tell me the truth. Squid keeps telling me what a good and fair coach he was. Between us only, how was he really? Well, you say between you only because we're probably the only three on this podcast anyway, so I don't That's right. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I've I, I, I said it to, to two other coaches. I've said, I said the three best coaches in my life were my dad. I said uh, Lauren Mulliken and Rick Five were the three best coaches that I ever had. And Jack McElhargy is a is a very close fourth, even though he didn't play me. But uh, Rick was a fair coach. He got the most out of his players, and he was he was the type of guy that if we were playing three and three with travel every night, you went through the other end of the rink just out of fear of uh, you didn't want to embarrass your coach because uh, he he got the most out of us. Which you know ultimately in in the one year ninety seven we end up winning a championship and. Yep. Uh, you know, you can say players all you want, but you play for the guy that uh, that cracks the whip behind the bench, and Rick did a really great job of doing that. Well, we want to get into your scouting career in a bit, but but what I, one question I'd like to ask is, just like everybody else, the last 18 months have been pretty challenging for everybody. How did you get through it, especially trying to do the job you do today? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was different. It was difficult. You know, I've been, I've been with the Capitals now for 14, 15 years as a as a scout um, before that with an affiliate. So long story short, it was different. Um, uh, with a lot of video, not so much traveling, obviously the, the uh, conflict with the pandemic and uh, where you could go and couldn't go made it very challenging. I think it was hard on everybody, not only just the hockey world, obviously, but yes. life in general and, and everything's about making adjustments and you, you get dealt this hand and you gotta, you gotta play it. And, Fortunately enough, I'm playing cards with uh, 
a pretty good organization, a very good organization in Washington that started at the top with Brian McClellan. And, and he let us go out and do what we felt comfortable with. And, and there was challenges. There's a lot of video. We've never done this much amount of video. And, um, you know, I, I guess time will tell, you know, if we made the right decisions, but here we are, uh, things are starting to get back to normal, I think. And, uh, and hopefully pick up where we left off, Mike. Squid. Let's see what, when you're out scouting, uh, like what, what are the biggest things you're looking for in a player? I mean, is it, cause I mean, I hear a lot about today, everybody's looking for speed and skill and size doesn't matter anymore, which I totally disagree with. Cause if you, if you have the speed and skill, but you're six foot four instead of five foot nine, I think you got a little bit of an advantage, but what exactly do you look for when, uh, now I know you're not looking at the amateur guys, you're looking at the pro guys for possible trades and that sort of thing. Um, so are you looking at anything in, uh, specific? Well, yeah, that's a great question, Rick, because a lot of people say to you, like, what catches your eye? And, uh, you know, you kind of have this template, you want a smart hockey player, you want players with skill and, you kind of go down the line, but for me personally, and, and every scout's probably a little bit different, but I want guys that compete. I want guys that are going to go hard every night and they're going to catch my eye. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, your fourth game in five nights and you've traveled all. Those are the guys that I right away come out to me. They jump out of the page. Like this guy just played in Bridgeport Friday, Saturday, and he's driven all the way up to Syracuse. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's not going to be a really good hockey game up there. But me selfishly or personally, I'm like, no, I want to see how that guy competes on a Sunday. To me, that's that that yep. defines the character of a guy. Um, you know, we talk and we hear so much in today's NHL, hockey in general, business in general. We need culture. Well, culture starts with high character people. You know, you get the high character yeah. people involved and get them in the right mix. And you can you can teach them different skill sets and skating. And we got, we got every type of coach we need nowadays, but yeah, for the long, the short is it of it, Rick is, is just the character and the high compete level catches my eye. Then I go back and check on his skating and his shooting his physicality and hockey sense. But that one jumps out of me. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember in, in South Carolina, that was, a, that was my biggest thing was I wanted character individuals. I wanted guys who were going to compete. And we had that. I mean, to a man, I don't think we had anybody on our team that didn't compete night in and night out. And uh, I think that's why we won a championship. Well, to your point, Rick, you know, you go back to that year and I've had the fortune of uh, being parts of teams here since then. And, those character guys are gonna they're gonna jump on you if you aren't competing. You know, if you're if you're if you're a so-called skilled guy that isn't pulling your weight, you're gonna get jumped on and then you're that locker room is is a real tight knit community and you play for the guy next to you. And you made some big trades that year and brought in guys like, you know, uh, Chris Rowland mm -hmm. is one that stands out in my mind. I'm gonna give you a quick example of exactly what you said. He was a high character guy, very limited, could fight, didn't skate very well played a specific role we just lost game four yeah. in pensacola had to fly the next day down back to charleston for the decisive game five and i was complaining i was like this is bs you know we just played here we got to drive back seven hours and play tomorrow afternoon and and i consider myself a very high character guy but 
I was complaining about stuff that was out of my control and had nothing to do with. Well, he grabbed me and, and pushed me aside and called me out in front of everybody and said, it's the same for that team on the other side of the ring. You know, you get your head screwed on straight. We're going to go back there and win that game. And sure enough, you know, he, he, he put me in my spot, but that's that character guy that did that. And I was wrong. I was like totally wrong. I'm like, Chris, you're right. Let's go. Let's go back. And we went back and won it. But those are what those guys do. They aren't always going to score the overtime winner. Yeah. They aren't always going to be the heroes in the front page of the Toronto Sun. But they're the guys that are going to be keeping the room together as glue. And uh, you need them. You, you, you can't have 12 skilled guys. And you've got to have specific role players. I thought you did a really good job of putting guys in their role and uh, having to play up to it. Well, you know what, Jace, I want to get into a couple. We're going to get into that a little deeper when we get into your playing career. But just the last question before we start touching on that, just our overall generalized view about scouting uh, and what's gone on in the last 18 months. With all that period of everything going as it has with the pandemic, would you agree that there's going to be some surprises merge, not only from the junior level, but maybe some of the pros with players flying under the radar, if you will, because maybe scouts haven't had a chance to really get a good look at these guys. So there could be some surprises and you guys are going to have to be on your toes. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't doubt there will be because you don't have the eyes on there that we've had in years past. And yeah, uh, yeah I kind of like it. It kind of makes our job even that mm -hmm. much more important because, you know, there's going to be guys that, you know, scouts haven't had laid eyes on in the last year. I mean, a little bit of video and a little big difference. Video live, night and day. There's night and day being there and actually seeing a guy, uh, seeing his body language on the bench. Cameras don't pick that up. You know, so to answer your question, yeah, there's going to be some yeah. guys. It's going to be interesting. And and you know what? If I am one of those guys that slid under the radar, this is a great opportunity to kind of prove your uh, true colors and go out there and, and do what made you famous. So I, I'm looking forward to the challenge. Fantastic. Well, let's let's start with you and your early days. And first off, were you always a goalie? And if you were, how'd you end up in the barrel? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I was fascinated at a young age of, of just the goalie equipment. And uh, I always wanted to play goal. I remember the first day when I was five years old, I got, you know, I got put into that position and it kind of morphed into like, you aren't leaving because you're okay at this. So I remember like not to back you up too far, but I remember being at a peewee tournament in Belgoni, Saskatchewan. And, and, yeah. and we had a big tournament and one of the mums came up to me and she got down on one knee and she said, now, Jason, you're playing goal tonight. And there's, you aren't arguing that. And I like, Okay, I'm the goalie, you know. So we, we went out and whatever. I don't remember if we won or lost, but it's just the you know the, the small town craziness of uh, hockey in Canada, where the, it's just important to the parents to win as the uh, kids. But uh, you know, I just stayed in the position. I loved it. Um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge, you know. And as we moved up the ladders, you didn't think you were you knew you were an okay goalie, and then about 15, 16, you hear rumblings. And this is pre. Twitter, all the media, you know, computers, yeah. all that. But you hear rumblings, people are watching you. So you're like, I might be okay at this. Um, yeah, so we get, got drafted by Vancouver and uh, signed an entry-level deal. And that's where where Rick and I uh, met for the first time. And, and Rick was winding down his playing career. And uh, Vancouver had signed him on as, as, a, as in, a, in a mentorship role for us young guys. And, uh, you know, it was, it was huge for us. You know, he taught us what it was like to be a pro. You know, we're coming in from, from junior hockey in Moose Jaw and Regina and Duluth and North Dakota, and we don't know any better, you know. I mean, it's You need that 
that leadership group. So that's where Rick and I end up, you know, hooking up for the first couple of years. And then he became an assistant coach with Jack McElhargy. And, um, you know, I ended up trusting him. And it's just like anything in life. You know, somebody's given you advice and they've been right. You're going to you're going to automatically yeah. trust in them. Uh, so when Rick left Vancouver's organization and, and uh, went down to Charleston in South Carolina, they were the uh, affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks in the ECHL. And and I was winding down that entry level deal and, and I was out of Vancouver's plans. So Rick got me down there and that was, uh, I believe, 93, 94, maybe 94, 95. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was crazy. Just come down to a hockey market where where people didn't know hockey. But once again, you go into trust in Rick. He said, you're going to love it down here. You're going to come down here. And and, and it was there, all of that. And here, here I am, you know, 30 years later, pretty well, and still living here. And it's... Uh, it's, it's good. You know, like there's, I was talking to my wife, Chantel, and she's from Saskatchewan as well. She's been with me this whole journey. And, you know, you, there's, there's people you meet along the line that, uh, that kind of mold your career and outside of my family and, and, and teammates, there's five people. And Rick was one of them where we're really where I am today and 15 years in the NHL with Washington and, you know, part of a Stanley cup winner. I owe a lot to Rick and, and, uh, just for guidance and that mentorship. And, uh, you know, I, I'm Fantastic. grateful here, uh, for the forward from, from here on in. Well, Jace, I want you to go back and talk about the WHL and just talk about as a kid playing in that league, how good it is, how tough it is, particularly the travel. And I'll tell you where I'm going with this. And Squid hates this. We've touched on this many times on the podcast with Western hockey players. But during the period of the 80s, and as I said, he's going to hate this. He's smiling already. There's more, there was more of a leaning towards Western Canadian kids because of the grueling travel, the weather conditions versus the OHL where these kids slept in their own bed basically every night and they weren't used to that. So the toughness and being aware and all that kind of stuff, they were growing up much quicker. So would you agree? And again, now coming from your scouting side also, that as a tiebreaker, that may fit into the equation when they were looking at these kids, Western versus Eastern, and just maybe well, talk about what you went through. Yeah, it was, uh, I was proud. I, when I grew up, I wanted to play in the Western Hockey League. It was uh, the Regina Pats of the Moose Jaw Warriors. So growing up on a farm outside of uh, Regina, like all you thought about was playing in the Western Hockey League. Um, when I became eligible to play there, I went there and tried out and didn't make the team. They had players in place. Uh, I got sent down to Wilcox uh uh, Notre Dame in, in Wilcox, Saskatchewan, and uh, mm -hmm. Barry McKenzie, who, you know, brilliant hockey guy, kind of took me under his wing and said, listen, we're going to make you a better hockey player. So I said, I don't care, Barry. I just want to play in the Western Hockey League, whatever you got to do. Um, so I, had a good, I, I was down there for two months, and we lost 14-1 to 1 in Flin Flon one night, and I gave up seven goals and got pulled. Name the third star. I'm just kidding. About that <laughs> but uh, we were busing home, and I remember it was a Christmas night, and uh, it was a long bus from Flin Flon to, uh, to Notre Dame, and Barry McKenzie called me to the front of the bus, and he said, he said, Lauren Mullican just called. He wants you to go up to uh, Moose Shaw right after Christmas. And uh, I said, okay, great. I'll pack up. I'll leave tonight when we get home at 4 in the morning. And Barry said, no. He, he said, I've got six opportunities where you're going to get a full ride into uh division one college here and he started naming the schools 
And I said, okay, I, I has no, I have no interest in that. I want to play junior hockey Musha. So we went to Musha. I got in the car, drove to Musha, and uh, it was a great experience. And and it's it's a tough league. Um, you grow up quick. You know, you're 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 16, 17, playing against 20 year olds, and you know, it, it, there's a lot of stuff that probably went on back then that can't go on now. From the you know the shaving of your heads to kind of making you become part of the team and. And that was all part of the game back then, and no one ever kicked up a big stink about that. And uh, yeah. it was just a great, it was a great experience. And then when Vancouver uh, selected me, and then I moved on from there, I've got nothing but unbelievable things to say about how Moose Shaw ran. It was a small town that uh, people loved. People loved coming to games. That was what to do in the town on a on a game night, and uh, they treated me really well. So it was it was it was a good experience. You know, you hear all the, the stories of like. Uh, the fights and, 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 and those are true. I mean, you look on, I think that hockey card that you just showed there, my 20 year old year, I had eight assists and uh, 99 penalty minutes. You know, for, to, have, to have 99 penalty minutes as a goaltender, you know, that's a very dubious honor that I, that's one of my proudest things. Like we fought some tough guys, like the Brent Myers and the Kerry Toporowski's of the world. And it was a brawl. And, uh, you know, I played, I think I ended up playing like almost 60 games that year. Mike Babcock was actually our coach that year. And and I didn't know it till the end of the year, but uh, because we didn't have the computer access, but Ron Hextall had the goaltender leading penalty minute record at 114 minutes with Brandon one year. And I didn't yeah. know that. Had I known oh. that, I would have 15 taken, minutes, you would have broken. I would have, I would have taken a five and a 10 and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and got out of there. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a tough league, but it prepared you. So, you know, in, in, in the OHL, like we, we have the stigma too, like where all oh, the OHLers, you know, they like to get their points and score their goals. And the Quebec leaguers, it's all about points. But in all honesty, the CHL is an incredible league. And, you yeah. know, since moving on, I've got into coaching and uh, managing ECHL teams and working with the Caps. But I still tell people now, looking back, like you really can't make a, a, a wrong decision. But, if you've got the chance to go on and get a college degree and, and better yourself as a person from an educational standpoint, that's the route I would push and nothing negative towards the CHL, but you know, just knowledge in school is, is just so important nowadays. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember when Justin got drafted by Sudbury in the OHL, and we went up there. Mike Foligno was the coach at the time. And I, of course, I played with Mike and everything. And, and you know, then we got home a couple of days later. And, and he said to me, I said, well, what do you want to do? I said, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to help you do what you want to do. And he said, well, Dad, you know, he says, I'm a good player, but I'm not a star. He says, and as a 16-year-old, I might not play that much. He said, but if I go to the U.S. program, there's probably a pretty good chance I'm going to get a college scholarship in the U.S. and I'm going to be a, I'm going to become a better player. I'm going to get more ice time. I'm going to get good off ice. Uh, and sure enough, he goes there, has two great years traveling around the world, enjoying the game, living with a great family in in Ann Arbor, and then off he goes to Miami, Ohio, on a full ride for four years. And I said, "Good for you." I said, "You couldn't have done it any better." And, you know, I, I really believe, like you, Jason, if you get that opportunity, it's, I yeah. mean, if you're a superstar like a Connor McDavid or someone like that, you yeah. go play junior because 
you're going to play in the National Hockey League. But if you're in the middle of the pack, go get your education. You can still make the NHL. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. So, yeah, Jason. Nobody's going to take that. Nobody can take that degree away from you. And that, you no. can always go back on that. And if you're a good hockey player, you're going to get found. You know, and, and especially yeah. nowadays with all the uh, social media outlets, like, you're going to get found. And I was going to say to you, Jason, a couple of – we're still talking about Western Hockey League. Just, again, it amazes me how these guys got through all that as these young kids. Like, some of the crazy things maybe happen on some of your trips, like bus breakdowns, running out of fuel, no heat sometimes on the bus. Did that ever happen any of you on any of your trips? <laughs> well, bus breakdowns were a staple. Of, I, I think sometimes exactly. they did happen. And just to see how guys would react, and uh, and yeah, that was part of it, and that that that's something I'd never change. And that happened in pro hockey too a couple times, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, the things that happen on the bus from uh, you know the card games to the conversations with your teammates, and those are the best times of your life, you know, like yeah, it, you establish like friendships and bonds and. And, you know, those are the guys that, you know, you're going to battle with in Spokane on a Saturday night where, you know, like that's, I think that really helps mold you as a young person. And you take those lessons and you, you take them into life after where, you know, almost no problems, a big deal after that, you know, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for a thing. Like, yeah, we talk about going to, going to college and, and all that sort of thing. But I mean, you look back here, I'm 50 years old now and, I wouldn't change the way this whole thing has gone. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to have my family beside me. I met my wife in grade eight art. Um, and she's, she, Rick knows her well. And, and she, she's a hockey wife. My son was born in the game and I wouldn't change a thing if I could. I really wouldn't. Fantastic. You know, yeah, made some mistakes, a yeah, lot, but, but it's been, it's been fabulous. But your son's going in a different direction. He's going the baseball route. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of fun. So, he, he, yeah, he's a I mean, player, and um, you know when 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 Rick got us down here into into the south, and just just quick before I go back to the baseball portion of it, when I took this job with Washington in two thousand seven, uh, George McPhee said to me, he said, Jace, you know, he said uh, you can move anywhere in the country. We'll move you wherever you want to be, like Charleston. You you know, you got Charlotte there. You got Raleigh, you don't have a lot of NHL cities. We'll put you wherever you want. And I said, George, I said, I've been down here for a long time. I've got my roots down here. Uh, we've got so many friends. Like it's, we're just we're in, we're embedded in the community. I said I'd like to give it a year and see how it goes. Travel's going to be hard, and there's a lot of road trips. But that was you know, like I said, 14, 15 years ago, and I'm still here. And uh, you know, and, and, and in the South, it's a little different. It's uh, Baseball, football on a Friday night is like, it's like the WHL and the OHL. Like, it's a big deal down here. So yep. my son got uh, got into baseball and uh, he's turned into a heck of an athlete. And, you know, whatever happens from there, it, I don't care. I like going to the park. I like getting a little break from hockey. I think nowadays kids are around it too much. And, uh, you know, it's nice to go to the ballpark and eat some sunflower seeds and kick back <laughs> To the wood bat so if, if he goes baseball great i'm going to push the college route for him but for now we're just taking it kind of day by day year by year and see what happens how old is he he's, he's 15 he's 15 and um you know he's 
He, he's a good mix of uh, my wife and myself. I took him so golfing today, and uh, just this is the first time we play golf together. He's yeah. just up late in his career, but just the time you can spend with him because 15 turns into 25, like you guys probably know. And next thing you know, it's your empty nesters and away you go. So you got to enjoy the time you have. And I've been a big believer, Mike, with my whole life. Like Rick will probably yeah. tell you that. Like I, I live every day to the fullest. And, you know, not too often I have a bad day. And um, they're very few and far between. Well, now let's go back to your yeah, draft here. I, oh. I, I can honestly, Mike, oh, yeah. Mike, I can, I can yeah, yeah. tell you from my experience, <laughs> what he just said is absolutely true. I, yeah. He could let in, well, he didn't let four or five in very many nights. But if he did, the next day he'd come to the rink with a smile on his face and ready to go and just like, I, but you know what? Most of the guys on our team were like that, right, Jason? I mean, we had such a great character team that, that these guys, they, they just didn't seem to let those things bother them. And I remember when Jason came down, I you weren't allowed to give two two-year contracts okay but i but his uh chantel was going to what dental hygienist yeah. school or whatever and it was a two-year program so i told him i said okay you're gonna get i'll give you two years and he, he said well you can't sign me for two years i said no but i'll promise you two years well, after the first year, he won the championship and, yeah. and uh, MVP, and then he had to have back surgery, couldn't play. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, you just become another assistant coach with me and we'll pay you whatever we were going to pay you. And it all worked out. Then the next thing you know, I leave, Rick Aduno takes over, he becomes the, the main assistant. And then the next thing you know, he's the head coach. And Jared Bednar is his assistant. <laughs> it was like a it was like a thing that just kept going in, in Charleston. Well, it was all because and, of you, Scott. Uh, look, it was all because of you. Well, I think I think everything had to do with me because I started <laughs> it all off. Yeah. But but look where he is now, and look where Bednar is now. And I mean, yeah. I, I I loved it down there, and I wanted to stay there, but you know what? Well, Didn't happen. Well, but Jace, I want to go back and talk about your 91 year draft. Uh, now, of course, there's no internet as we know and all that. Any kind of talk leading into the draft, what may happen to you? And if you didn't get drafted, what were you going to do? Was there a contingency plan? So funny story, Mike. I was 91, um, no internet. We, uh, our Moose Jaw Warrior team had a slow pitch tournament and we were playing a slow pitch tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, Vancouver <laughs> called me that morning and they they interviewed me just kind of hey you know it's generic questions you know how's your fitness what do you think yep. you know and yep. where you go so that was that so we go to this we go to this 24-hour slow pitch tournament your first game could be two in the morning on a friday night you might play again <laughs> at 5 30 you know or saturday morning i guess and it's one of those yeah so it, it's the whole town shuts down for that and we put a moose show warrior team in so it's draft day i'm sitting around in uh one of the billets house and we're watching and Eric Lindros gets picked by Quebec. He doesn't put the jersey on. We watch the first round, but well, we got to go play baseball. So we're day goes on. We're having fun and having a few, you know, adult beverages and the day's getting away on us. And I see a guy named uh, Travis Thiessen and I say, Travis, uh, any word on the draft? 
he said, yeah, Pittsburgh picked me. And, uh, well, let's go down to the beer gardens and celebrate. And I said, you hear anything from me about me? And he said, no, I haven't heard it. I know they just finished up the draft. I said, okay, so whatever. So I go on, I, I, I figure I better check in at the farm. So I put a quarter in the pay phone, which I had to borrow from someone. So I didn't have a quarter. And I called my the farm and I said, hey, dad, any word on the draft? And, and my dad was a very stoic farmer, all business. And he, he could see, you could hear emotion in his, in his voice. He said, uh, he goes, yes, Jace, I just hung up with uh, Pat Quinn and Vancouver selected you. And I said, well, dad, what round did I go in? He goes, you know what? I don't even remember what he was said. I was so proud. <laughs> so, <laughs> I knew I got picked by Vancouver and I didn't know what round. So I'm like, you got to figure out. So I, I bored another quarter called CHAB Radio in Moose Jaw, got connected to the sports section. And I said, hey, it's Jason Fitzsimmons from the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, you tell me what round I got drafted in. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you went in the 11th round by Vancouver. And I'm like, oh, thanks. But nowadays, it's all on your internet. Yeah. You get better and away you go. It was a different era back then. And so it was It was a fun night. And uh, we there was a few of us that got drafted from Moose Jaw that day. And, that's a day that I won't forget, and I've told that story a bunch of times. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, well, I was going to say, well, take us through your first pro camp, and what what were your expectations going in? Uh, just try and stop the puck. I remember it was in Victoria. <laughs> we, uh, uh, Vancouver would always have their uh, their training camp in Victoria, so we'd meet yeah. at uh, we'd meet at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver, and we'd do our physicals and our Wingate bikes and you know body fat and. Uh, then we'd all hop on a bus and we'd take the ferry across and we'd go to Victoria. And I remember being nervous and sitting there and watching all the veterans get on their buses. And like Kirk McLean had his golf clubs and Cliff Ronning had his fishing rods. And, you know, everyone's loading up the bus and we're going over to Victoria. I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool, you know. So we get on the ice the next day and, and I get put into the scrimmage. We used to scrimmage a lot. I got put into the scrimmage and the first shot was Trevor Linden coming down the wing and just goes bar down on me. My very first shot in the NHL camp. And I was like, oh my God, this isn't a great start. And Stan Smeal was uh, was kind of officiating the game and he comes up to me and he goes, kid, he's done that to a few kids. Don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, so that was my first start to, uh, to Vancouver's camp. And, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, it's just, it was just amazing to be around those guys and see how hard they work and their off-ice commitment and, uh, you know, and just caveat on that story. So my, my rookie year, Mike, um, we, we got sent down to Hamilton and we had, uh, we had uh, Troy Gamble and Bob Mason were the goalies. So I'm a young kid that didn't have a lot of room. So Jack Mack said, we're going to send you down to Columbus, Ohio. And we, that's our ECHL affiliate. We want you to get into a couple games. <laughs> kind of get fine-tune your game. Rewind that. The year before, I went up to Vancouver and was uh, the third goalie in the playoffs for six weeks. So I kind of thought, I'm going to probably have a good chance of making this team somewhere down the line. <laughs> so anyway, I go down to Columbus. First, Terry Ruskowski's our coach. First game is in Erie, Pennsylvania. We lose the game 9-3. I get lit up for nine goals. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking like, I'm going in there shutting the door here. Like, nothing's getting by me tonight. I give up nine. So... <laughs> We hop on the bus, and we get about 15 miles outside of the town. Bus pulls over, and, and I've been quiet. Like, we just gave up nine goals. 
Like I'm being quiet, I'm not saying a word. Bus pulls over, hits the air brakes. I go, what's going on? A couple of veterans walk by the bus. They go, we got to get our beer. We got to go all the way to uh, Roanoke here. And I go, what do you mean get our beer? We're playing tomorrow night. Yeah, you can only have a six pack. <laughs> so so <laughs> the vets get off and get a six pack. I'm just sitting there. We get to Roanoke about four in the morning. Terry Raskowski says to me, hey, you had a rough one tonight, kid. I, but you're going tonight in Roanoke. I want you going again. So we win the next night, but we win 9-8. So now I've given up a nine spot and an eight spot. I'm one and one with an 8.5 goals against. So it was it was definitely an eye opener into uh, pro hockey. And uh, but that's uh, from there it got a lot better and made my way back up to Hamilton. And uh, you know the rest is history, I guess. Hey, I got a question for you on the Taft Coliseum in Columbus. I was there a few years ago. Is that not the highest roof you've ever seen in a hockey rink, or is that my imagination? Well, we played at the fairgrounds when I was in Columbus. Yeah. That, I don't remember. I mean, the only time I looked up to the heavens is after I when I needed a big save. So usually my eyes were closed at that. But uh, you know, I, I don't. I just remember the fans were really crazy. They they loved their hockey, and we we jammed fifty five hundred fans in there every night and it was like you it was like a little mini nhl environment yeah awesome place squid hey jason uh would you say that your busiest time of the year is probably leading up to the trade deadline going around to look at you know prospects players on other teams uh getting ready for the gm perhaps to pull off some trades before the trade deadline to put your team over the hump or or yeah, or would it be in the the off season or? Well, it doesn't it doesn't quit now. Like even on a typical day like today, I'm trying to get ready, and here we are, you know, August 10th or 11th or whatever it is today, and uh, I've been on the phone nonstop, and you're dealing with agents, you're dealing with uh, your players, and rookie camp coming up, so it, it never stops. But getting back to your point on the uh, the trade deadline, it's it that that's that's a very very important time maybe not our busiest because you know the trade deadline typically on a normal calendar year falls the end of february and uh, brian mcclellan brings us in at the start of february and we've identified kind of what our needs are throughout the year where our deficiencies are and what we got to get better in so we'll have guys that that we've targeted uh we meet as a group as a pro staff and you know then we go out and we have more specific assignments you know some games you're just going to buffalo to watch for upcoming free agents but as we get down to the deadline you're zeroing in on like okay hey you know they might be moving a sam reinhardt type player like let's go in there and get good reads on them. sometimes you send two guys in at a time and, and just so you're working it together and i like that that's fun you know because you know you go back to the year when we won it in 2018 we identified our needs and um we went out and got them and you just know if you make the right move, it can be something special. And, you know, as us, as a staff in Washington, um, it's, it's a great, it's a great group to work for from the ownership down. I'm not just saying that it's because I know that like we're a big family and culture starts in the office and we want to go to battle for one another. And we work together. Nobody ever gets credit for claiming that guy or signing that guy. We're a team, and and that's that's one of the things I'm really proud about in working with Washington. Is that there's no individuals, so um, trade deadline is fun because you know if, if we if we get the right guy, you know that year was more of a subtle move. We would try to get some depth defense, and 
we ended up getting Michael Kempney out of Chicago, and he ended up playing a very, very intricate role in, uh, in us winning that year in, in 2018. Well, I was going to say, Chase, why don't by you the, by, the, by the way, Mike, by oh. the way, Mike, before yeah. you go any further, I am the honorary scout for, for Washington because when Fitzy needs any information on anything here in Toronto or, or the area, he calls me oh, and I give him a scoop. That's true. I was going to say, why didn't you? Well, who, did, who, who did we talk about? One player in particular who is now playing in Ottawa. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I remember having specific conversations about uh, Zach Hyman with you. And, 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 and Connor Brown. And Connor Brown. Connor Brown. And, yeah. And, and like, you know, so I guess I shouldn't be indulging my secrets, but a lot of, a lot of our, a lot of the things we do is gathering information. Sure. We absolutely. Know, we know what they can, what they can do as a hockey player. Like we've had eyes on them for, you know, a long time, a lot of games, our scouting staff, but you like to find out what's he like off the ice. What's he like away from the rink? Uh, you know, to quote draft day, did they show up at his birthday party type thing? You know, like it's like that's yeah, absolutely. We want to know all this stuff because if if you're going to try and build a team with the right culture, you got to be bringing the right people in. But so you'll talk to anything from trainers that you had along the way, uh, to coaches, to friends, people that keep their ear to the ground. We know what they are as players, but we're trying to dig deeper. And, and it goes down to the old cliche: don't burn a bridge. No. Well, I got a question for you. Both mm-hmm. you guys can answer on the coaching side. Now, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about how you got into the coaching and some of the challenges you met from being an assistant to going to a head coach. But if you can keep all this together, Jason, and go through it all, one of the most challenging aspects would have to be telling a player he's been cut, it's over, he's not good enough, or he's been traded. There's yeah. no manual to teach you how to do that. Uh, it's happened to all of us. It happens in everyday life for anybody. So where I'm coming from on this one and this is for both you guys, in your experience on both sides, was it harder to accept the bad news as a player getting told to you or giving it to a player as a coach? Jace? Well, that's a great question. I've never really thought of that because uh, I was really a big optimist my whole life, as Rick and I kind of touched on. And I always tried to, you know, glasses, uh, we'll fill the glass back up if it's half empty here. So um, for me, I think it was a player. Or, I mean, as a coach, giving news like, you know, you, you, you bring a guy in and, and you've got to t- deliver bad news to him. And, you know, the one thing my dad taught me and is say your piece, get it out and just be quiet. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you, you get into coaches that give deliver you the bad news and they just ramble on and talk in circles. Give mm-hmm. me the bad news. Give them the bad news. Look them in the eye. You know, mm-hmm. thank them, shake his hand and move on. And it's. You know, it, it's we, we use this cliche today talking to a player, but you know, hockey is the best game in the world. There's hands down. It can no be a mean, it can be a mean business sometimes, and it is a business. And it's uh, you know, it's the same thing now with you know dealing with players and contracts. And and Brian McClellan has given me a little bit of uh, leeway with talking with agents, and and you know, you just got to be honest and be transparent. And uh, you know, they're going to probably hate you, but. I think they'll respect you in the long run. And that's just something I try to do as, uh, as a coach. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with uh, Jason on that. I mean, uh, well, first of all, I never really got that much bad news when I played because I, I was on a one way contract. They weren't going to send me down and pay me that kind of money in the minors, but I did get traded several times when, you know, it was a, not an opportune time to be traded like the day after Christmas. 
and that sort of thing. But I, I found telling a, a, a young man like 20, 21 years old that I got to let him go. I mean, that, that was tough. But like Jason said, you've you got to be honest with the individual and you just got to let them know that, uh, you know, you, you care about them, but unfortunately you don't have room for them. And, uh, uh, you know, if you do, then I, I think they're going to gain a lot of respect for you. And, uh, I mean, I had Bunny LaRock, who I played with and, and loved Bunny, and we were, you know, best friends. And I had his son there, and I had to, I had to let his son go. Uh, and that was very difficult for me. You know, uh, but uh, it, like Jason said, it's a business, and and you know it, the business is winning <laughs> and putting together a winning team. And sometimes you got to make tough decisions, and they're not always popular, but uh, you got to do it. And uh, unfortunately, that I, I think that's the most difficult thing that you have to do as a coach. Well, there's a human side to it as well. And, I, and just so you guys know, I made a footnote to myself that I would think it's tougher to deliver the news because being told bad news, whether you're traded or any of those things I mentioned, you can do something about it. You can train harder. You can play harder. You can fight more. You can do whatever you need to do to try and improve your game and maybe get another shot. You have no control over what the other player receiving the news thinks or how he takes it. He may just say, screw it and walk away and quit when all he had to do was one of the above. And maybe yeah. get another shot. So yeah. that would weigh on you, me as a coach. If I was given that news and this guy just walked away and all he had to do was work a little harder, that'd be very tough. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, and you know, I when I was uh, managing the team in South Carolina, I had to do it with uh, with our leading score of all time, and it was the hardest thing. We just we were oh. on playing in California, and we 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 played. We went five and one in six games flew home all day and I ended up making the trade in the Atlanta airport. And I had to tell him that night when we got home at one in the morning and um, it was hard. You know, we played together. We won a championship when we were play teammates together, but at the end of the day, it was the right move for the team. And, uh, you know, we didn't talk for probably five years after that, uh, but it's hard. It's hard. And you're yeah, doing of course not personal you're doing what you think you have to do and that was the toughest move i made as a coach to this day and um i still i had to do it and i don't regret doing it but it was difficult it's great mm -hmm. yeah there's no question i mean i had to make some tough uh the year we won the championship scott boston probably one of our most popular players and and obviously a great defenseman uh, offensive defenseman um but we needed a guy like Chris Rowland in order to win the championship. And I knew that in my heart that we needed him more than we needed Scott Boston. And I got this kid from Raleigh that uh, Kirk Kleinendorf did not want. And, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Fitzy, help Mark me out here. <laughs> Mark hey. now the, Mark. Mark. No, the little defenseman. Oh, Brad Dexter. No, no. Brad Dexter, that's it. And I got him for, for basically nothing. And he turned out to be probably as good offensively or better than Scott Boston was. Yeah. So I pulled him in, made the trade, got rolling into the mix, and, you know, off we went. And, uh, you know, in the finals, I remember we won four games to one. They took a ton of penalties. 
I think our power play was running at about 35% in that series. And Brad Dexter was the guy who quarterbacked that power play. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it, it all worked out, and it wasn't easy. Mike, can I tell you a funny story? About Absolutely. That? I want to hear it. This is one of my all-time favorite funny stories about that year. Is We're playing uh, Doug Shannon in Louisiana, and uh, – I was having a good I was having a good run in the playoffs and uh, yep. so after game, we uh, we got up two one in Louisiana and uh, look at those pads don't move that picture there I was wearing those pads right there and they yep. were pads that that I had had from the previous year that were worn down and um, so after game three uh, Rick <laughs> comes into the office and he says hey Fitz uh, the supervisor official. Well, I'm going to remain anonymous here. I won't bring his name into this. He wants to measure your pads. Come into yeah. my office. So I walk into my office. I got half my equipment off. I still got my gold pads and bottom half on. And the uh, the league official says, uh, hey, Jason, my name is so-and-so. I'm here to measure your pads. And uh, they were broken down and wore down. I'd worn them for a year and a half. I liked old equipment. And at the time, pads had to be 13 and three quarters. So he goes down and he measures them, and they come to 14.5. So they're three-quarters of an inch too big. So yeah. I said, okay, wow. He goes, well, here's what I'm going to do. He goes, I'm going to leave this office in five minutes. For five minutes, I'm going to go get Doug Shedden from Louisiana. I'm going to come back and knock on this door. I'm going to act like I was never in here, and we're going to measure your pads in front of Doug Shedden. He looks at Rick, and he looks at Rick Aduno, and he goes, you got five minutes to do whatever makes these things legal. And he goes, I'm measuring your right pad. I'm measuring your right pad when I come back in this office. So he closes the door. Our eyes look at each other like saucers. So I lay down on my side with my right pad out. And Rick Aduno, our assistant coach, is jumping up and down on this pad. And, and Vivi's hitting it with a goalie stick. And this goes on for five minutes. And then there's a knock at the door. It's clearly this guy coming back to measure my pads. So I sit back up yeah. in the chair. The guy comes in. He goes, hi, Jason. My name is so-and-so at the league office. This is Doug Shedden here. We're here to measure your pads. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. Please stick out your right pad. So I stick out my right pad that they've been jumping on for five minutes. <laughs> and, he, and he pulls the tape measure out. And he goes, yep, 13.5. They're legal. <laughs> he shows Doug Shedden. Doug goes, yep, they're good. Okay, so it's just it's just kind of like a, a backstory to us winning that, and, and, and this guy who did it, and Rick knows him very well, and he had a very prominent career in, in 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 hockey, and you know he knew it was kind of a BS move that they're making this call after game three and yes. more pads, and you know to me that's something that I'll never forget, and that he handled it correctly. I completely, I completely forgot about that. That's I a completely good story. forgot about that. <laughs> now, I yeah. want to get into some of your uh, scouting. And, uh, you know, we end up with Washington and you've moved along after head coaching and you've been there for 14 years now. Jason, give the, walk the listeners through a day in the life of a scout from morning to bedtime, including traveling, the type of notes you take, filing yep. reports, keeping up with going on around the league. Just one of your days, a life in the life of you. Well, Mike, like we talked about, like information gathering is as important as yep. it is about the players so that never stops and you use every avenue you can from different podcasts to uh, xm radio to uh articles in 
different journals. Like you're yeah. forever studying the game. And um, and the ones that do, I think, are have the most information, obviously. But, you know, for a typical day, like, you know, living where I am now, I'll leave on a Wednesday. I'll fly into uh, Boston. Um, you know, this, I got the Bruins at 7 o'clock. I'll get in. I'll check into my hotel downtown Boston, you know, get, you know, get showered up, maybe get a workout in, go down to the garden. And then you start, you start preparing. Like you go in there with the game plan. Like, you know, I know this guy's a free agent this year, this guy's up, uh, you know, they're talking about him and trades and you're gathering all that information from things you've read and whether it's right or not, you got to be prepared for it. So you'll go in there, you'll get into the garden. Uh, I like going into Boston, you know, they treat you well there. You'll go downstairs you get your credential. Um, they usually put all oh, the every time they put on a good meal for you. They kind yeah. of butter it up, and you're sitting down there, and and you're rubbing shoulders with the Johnny Busicks of the world and Jack Edwards, and and just guys that been around the game. So when I was young, it, it was neat. It was neat to be around them and just kind of be a fly on the wall and, and yeah. take it in. And you know, you run into a Bobby Orr or whatever, and you just keep your mouth shut and try and take everything in. Uh, you know, you look over and there's, you know, there's Peter Mahovlich, you know, so those pro scouts, we, we, I don't want to say we run together, but you know, everyone on the team. So they are in, in, for the other teams, you go up to the press box and the irony behind the business is you're making million dollar decisions in the worst seats in the house, sitting up in the rafters. And, um, but, but you'll, you'll sit up there, you get your computer, you get your game notes, you write down their lines. You have the guys circled you want to watch and you watch them and you know you might circle six guys on that on, on from either team that you want to watch whether they're playing montreal or dallas or whoever and you're taking notes but there's this little number 11 from montreal that just keeps jumping out at you and, yeah you know you didn't go in there to watch him but every time he's on the ice he's doing something that catches your eye so when that's all done you go back to your hotel and uh you start you start a report and you put the lines in you you write about what you saw, and and you can only be honest. You don't make stuff up. You write what you saw, good and bad. Um, so when that's done, you know you you get to bed, you get up the next morning, and you go to the next city and do it all over again. Uh, in the meantime, you're you know sometimes you got to drive, and it could be a weather thing if you're trying to get from from Boston into Hartford or whatever. And yep. Horrible weather. Like you got all these little things that it's not a glamorous. I mean, me personally, I love it. But it, it, it's not it's not all flying first class and eating steak dips and, and 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 shrimp on the plane. Like it's it's hard work and it's it's um, you're you're grinding it pretty hard. You're away from your family. I when I got into this, my son was only was one year old, so it was uh, that was really hard on my family. And obviously, they have to be all bought in. So you're going to go Wednesday, then you're going to go Thursday in Hartford, then you might do a double header American League game between. Bridgeport and the New York Islanders, uh, maybe a Sunday afternoon game in Springfield and you just keep on going. And, you know, the best part of the game is going to the games, watching the games, forming your own opinion, you know, the computer work and putting reports in, they get, it gets monotonous at times because there's only so many ways you can write about a player and, and how they skate and, and stuff. Um, but it, it's, it's a necessity. You're putting, information into a database for the Washington Capitals that we can go back on and check in on. And so when we're looking at a Michael Kempney on, uh, on trade deadline, we read everybody's reports. We might refresh with some video in the, uh, 
in the staff room and uh it's all it's all it's all the little things which add up to the big thing and the big thing is one day hopefully winning so um it's, it's well, what about the what about the analytics from that standpoint are you a believer in that yeah i am i am it's uh it's definitely been a tool that has really uh morphed into like this pretty big deal here in the last you know eight nine years i think and um you know we have a really good analytics staff that you know some of the information they come up with for me it's a tool you know like you need eyes you need reports you need information and then you parlay it with the information that your analytics guys are giving you and you come up with uh with uh with an educated guess on what you think this player is going to be now I don't believe in just going off analytics and I don't believe just going off, uh, off the eye test. You know, you work together as a team. And when Brian McClellan became our GM, he, uh, he implemented a, 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 a good analytics staff, which they're in on all our meetings and, and they're part of it. And, and they're part of our team now. And, uh, and they've been very helpful. Well, I was going to say to you, the analytics may suggest some things, but nothing says it more than watching a guy chase a puck down in a corner with a monster barreling behind him and how they both respond instinctively, especially if the smaller guy comes up with the puck and how's the big guy going to respond and vice that's, versa. That's right, Mike. And here's another thing, like, you know, analytics, you know, like you watch how a guy reacts behind the play or on the bench, whether he's slamming sticks or, 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 or giving yeah. his t- or his coach an earful. There's no analytics that, that, that studies that. Like you need eyes and you need, you know, you need to be there. And, you know, I, I think the teams that have success, the teams that, that implement both, both sides of it, the, you know, the scouts being on the ground, the, the, the foot soldiers and, and, and the numbers guys. And those are the teams that are having success. Well, that's good. Go ahead, Squid. No, I, I just, I, I didn't really think, I mean, I guess I've been out of the game for quite some time, but I didn't think analytics uh, kind of applied to hockey as much as they would to baseball, so to speak. But, you know, I guess there are some numbers and some analytic things that when you put them together with with the eye test, then all of a sudden it makes sense. And but I I didn't realize that that analytics were were, uh, that important in hockey, but I guess I guess I was wrong. Well, I, <laughs> which I've not very often, but <laughs> I, I, I'm being very 100% transparent here. When it first became part of our office, I was uh, I was all ears because every day I want to try and better myself, but I was skeptical. And um, you know, and, and then I, 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 they backed it up with their numbers and passed on to the eye test, and with very quickly it grew on me. And, and nowadays, in if you're going to rebel against it, you're going to you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in, if you ask me, because the more yeah. information and the more tools you have, the better chance you have of making an accurate decision. So um, I, I am on board with analytics. Well, let's just take it one step further. Mark Howe once told me he was scouting for Detroit. I, I'm sure as you're aware at one point, he said that his theory in scouting was simple. If a guy has the puck a lot, that's a pretty good indicator right there. <laughs> <laughs> and but I mean, just talking tongue in cheek, obviously, but in simplified terms, is it any really more than that, depending on the position? And number two in this, Jason, is there one attribute that breaks the time when it comes down to one or two players? You've already mentioned compete, I think, is one of your biggest things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I and compete and character, I guess, kind of go hand in hand. Usually the high character guys compete, but 
the skill set. I mean, if you you're if you're a smart player, yeah. that's gonna you know you want smart players, and you don't always have to be have the hardest shot or the or the fastest skater. And I'll use our guy uh, Nick Backstrom as a as a classic example of that. You know, his his, his hockey IQ is through the charts, and uh, you know his his numbers speak for itself. And he's not going to blow the doors off someone and beat a defenseman wide and drive the net. Very rarely he'll beat a goaltender when the goaltender can see it. But you know, he's such a smart player, and knows where to be. And if you're yeah. one step ahead of the game, you got a good advantage of uh, you know having success. I was going to ask you. you oh, uh, oh, go ahead, Squid. Sorry. Oh, sorry. So you you just re-signed your top goal scorer of all time for the Capitals. Do you think that Ovechkin has a chance to surpass Wayne Gretzky in goals? Well, I'll tell you what I do know. If he does, that means I'll probably have some job security, so I'm really hoping he does. does that mean- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so oh, oh, Alex is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's special. Like, he's... The numbers he's putting up at this age and, you know, just the longevity of his career, he doesn't miss a lot of games and, and he plays hard and he's a big body. And yeah. I mean, we touched on it earlier, like these big guys, and I'm not saying not maroon, but these teams with, with, with big players. And I think Ovi's going to be fine. I think he's got a shot at it. Like he's Ovi's. I don't know him personally. Like we, we've flown on charters together. You say hello. And that's about it. You see him at training camp. But from everything I've heard about him, he's just a big kid that loves playing hockey, and to me, that's half the battle. If you if you if you if you're playing the game and having fun doing it, you know you're going to go out there and have a lot of success. And uh, you know, I really, you know, I really, I really hope for the capital's sake he gets there. Um, it's been going to be a fun story for the next you know four or five years and see see where he gets. But you know, Father Time isn't on his side, but he's defied those odds so far. You know, he's, uh, he's a freak of nature when it comes to working out, and he's passionate about the sport. I was just getting – I want to expand on something you touched on a little bit. We're down about our last two minutes here. Uh, I want to expand on something you touched on before, Chase, was uh, when you're looking at a player and you're checking off all the boxes for what you're looking at. A certain player, if you're looking at him, it, it, there's certain attributes maybe he may have or he plays well against a particular team. He doesn't play well against another team. Does the final evaluation you're trying to look at that almost come down to like a golf handicap where you throw out the good and bad games and sort of analyze the mean? Well, it's hard to judge a player when you haven't seen him a lot. The more times you see him, the more familiar you're going to get with yeah, him. Yeah, that's where I'm going and, with this. And, and, you know, like it's it's funny. You can watch you can watch a player and you can see Ovi on a, on a bad night. And if you don't know Ovi a lot, you're going to be like, that's, that, yeah. that guy makes a lot of money and he didn't do really well that night, but you watch him over time and he's going to keep it's easier. He's, he's going to get the job done. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's back to the old analytics and the eye test and, you know, put it all together and, you know, you got to kind of project where, where these guys are going to be. And, and, you know, with us at deadline, going back on a, a question that Rick asked, like you don't always need the best player, but you need the player that's the best fit for what you're looking for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, you look at Toronto, for example, right now, like losing Zach Hyman, he played a, he played an intricate role on that top line and doing the dirty work, uh, getting people to puck. And, you know, they bring in a guy like Michael Bunting, who people in Toronto don't know a lot about, but he's that type of player who's, who's 
going to do that. So you've got to find guys that fit your team's need. And you know what? Player X may be a better player, but player Y is going to be a good fit here. And now that not only that, Mike, too, now you're balancing in, you know, yeah. since the uh, lockout, the salaries. And you got a tough job yeah, on that. you got 81.5. If, if one guy wants $6 million, you think you can get a guy for 900000 that maybe the drop-off isn't that significant. It's a business decision, too. Squid, final comment? No, I, uh, well, I hope for, for our sake that Bunting does fill that role that Hyman has vacated and our top line continues to produce the way they do and our team wins a whole lot of games and uh, hopefully a Stanley Cup while we're still alive, Michael. <laughs> well, that's all we can hope for. But the guy at the bottom screen there is going to make sure that it's going to make it very difficult to go through a certain city uh, in America. So, Jace, thank I want you. to thank you so much for joining us today, man. You're great having you. Great stories. Best yeah. to you in your career moving forward. Not too much success when you come into Toronto, please. But you know I play every game to win, whether it's you, you know, where it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I knew you were going to say that for some reason. Somebody asked me with Jared when Jared Bednar started coaching Colorado and I was scouting for Washington. Jared and I had a relationship and they, I said, I'm going to cheer for him all but the times we play against him. So, that's, you know, that's I, I fair like Toronto and I appreciate everything you guys do and get the good word and support out there and your fan base. And it's just been a pleasure to be on here today, guys. Thank you so much. Great having you, Jace. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Vinci. Okay,